0: Again Good morning again, everyone. Uh, the gospel lesson this morning is uh, from Luke's Gospel. It starts uh, right after Jesus' death on Good Friday and ends, of course, at the Garden tomb uh, on daybreak on Sunday morning. So let me read that for us. It's printed there in your order of worship, and you can follow along there or in a Bible if you'd like, or you can just listen as I read from Luke's Gospel. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action. And he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath day, they rested according to the commandment. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. An idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. This is God's word, and it's given for our good. Let me pray for us before we talk about it. Father, we ask now that you would meet all of us in here this morning Um, from whatever places in life we have come, from whatever kind of mornings we've had or weeks or months or even years. Meet those of us who feel close to you. Meet those of us who feel far from you. Meet those of us who aren't even sure who you are or if you are. Father, meet every one of us and show us the grace of this risen Jesus, and change us by it. And we ask it in his name. Amen. Well, last uh, Sunday afternoon, I left on what I had hoped would be a really quick road trip um, to take two of my daughters uh, down to Kentucky on their spring break to drop them off to be with my parents for most of the week. Uh, On the way down, though, um, we got a flat. So I put uh, the little temporary spare on my car, and I called AAA, and they told me that all of the tire places anywhere near me were closed for the night. So uh, the three of us spent an unplanned night at a hotel in suburban Indianapolis, and I got up early in the morning, got the tire fixed, and we were off on our way. So originally, my hope had been to be back in Chicago on Monday night, but I wanted to spend some time with my parents. I didn't just want to turn around and come back, so I spent Monday night with them, and I headed back here to Chicago on Tuesday morning, and I got to tell you, I was feeling really behind the eight ball, taking that extra day, um, because of course, there is a bunch of stuff that all of us on staff have to do here during Holy Week, so I was very eager to get back here. So, about 45 minutes after I left my parents' house, all of the traffic came to a halt on 75 North. It was this horrible accident. Three lanes were closed, and so for the next hour, I crept along inches at a time through beautiful Florence, Kentucky, along with a bunch of other frustrated drivers. Now, of course, I'm feeling incredibly behind. I'm doing the math, thinking about how my day is just slipping away So once I got past that jam, I decided I needed a cup of coffee. That would be the thing that would calm my jarred nerves. So I stopped for one. I got my coffee and a donut, if I'm being completely honest with you. (laughs) It's not that funny. Um, And I took those things back to my car. And I reached into my pocket for my keys. And they were not there. So I had this moment of panic and I looked on the ground all around my car, didn't see any keys, looked on the hood of the car for some reason, the trunk of the car on top of the car, no keys, retraced my steps all the way back into the donut place, no keys. And that's when it dawned on me, Aaron, you knucklehead, you are not looking in the right place for your keys. I probably don't even need to tell you how this story ends. I walk back to my car, I look inside, and there are my keys, stuck in the ignition of my locked car. Well, I am glad they didn't call them knuckleheads, but I think that that same moment of recognition is what the angels in that story that we just read together want those beautiful women who have come to the tomb that morning to have. That's why they asked that question, which I think pulses at the very center of this story. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? In other words, you're barking up the wrong tree here. You are looking for Jesus in the wrong place. If you really want to see him, this drafty old tomb is definitely not going to be where you find him. And of course, the stakes on that first Easter morning are way higher than finding a set of lost keys. The stakes, if those angels are right, are finding a lost world being made new again. I mean, the women don't know it when they hear that question, but the created order, the entire created order, has completely and irrevocably changed overnight. Doors that everyone in the world definitely thought were were closed have been swung open. And cold hearts can beat again, and broken lives can now be restored, and sins can really be forgiven, and stories of shame can be written as stories of freedom. And there is a real red-blooded hope that this world can cling to and it matters right here and now. That's what the resurrection of Jesus means. And so here's what I want all of us to do this morning for just a little bit. I want all of us, no matter where we're coming from, those of us who believe, those of us who don't believe, those of us who aren't sure what we believe, I want us to see if we can find our own place in this story that we just read. So in order to do that, we have to rewind a little bit back to where the story starts late on the afternoon that we call Good Friday. After this strange and premature darkness, Jesus has just died. And the crowds, such as they were, are now making their way home from the spectacle. And Luke makes sure to tell us that there was a group of women, women who had been with Jesus from the days way back in Galilee, who stood at a distance watching as he died. And then Luke shifts right away and he tells us about this man named Joseph from Arimathea and he leads off with probably the most shocking thing that he could tell us about Joseph from Arimathea and that is that he was a member of the council. That means that he was a member of the Sanhedrin. That was the ruling body that had rejected Jesus and handed Jesus over to Pilate to be tried and executed. So, seems like a pretty strange character to introduce at this point in the story. But this is where things get interesting because Luke says that Joseph hadn't consented to their action. And in fact, he was a good man and righteous So Joseph is a dissenter against the powers that be, of which, strangely, he is a member. And it's clear that he has made some kind of break with that life because now he throws caution to the wind and he does something that he's probably not going to be able to get back from. No doubt his buddies in the Sanhedrin will not want to have much to do with him after they hear what he does next he goes to Pilate and asks Pilate for Jesus' body, the body of the crucified, pretend revolutionary blasphemer. And I think it's worth noting that nobody else asked for Jesus' body. I mean, you might think the disciples would have seen to Jesus' body, but these guys who had been with him for the last several years Ate with him, cried with him, hung on every word he said, fought with him. They are off somewhere else alone and afraid. So it's Joseph who takes his body and he wraps it in linen and he laid him in a tomb. Joseph honored Jesus in his death. And that is the very last we hear of Joseph. And I got to tell you, I think this guy is a fascinating guy. I mean, he believes, obviously, that there was something compelling about Jesus. You know, some, the way that Jesus taught, the things that he taught, the way that he lived and loved, the things that he did, they were shot through with something he had never seen, never experienced before. He had come to the place where maybe, maybe he thought to himself, maybe when Jesus said he came to announce the kingdom of God, You know, maybe when he said he was the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Maybe when Jesus was talking about giving his life as a ransom for many. Maybe these things were not just really beautiful words. Maybe they were true. And I wonder how many of us this morning may feel a little kinship to Joseph. You know, we know there's something about Jesus. Maybe we cannot quite put our finger on it. We know he's a prophet, of course, but somehow more than that, this incredible teacher, but somehow surely more than that, this winsome, gracious leader of people, and somehow more than that, Well, if that's you, then maybe Joseph's spot is your spot in this story. And I'll just say for any of us who find ourselves in that place this morning, the question is, how might we need to stick our necks out? What is it that we might need to risk to see if our hunch about Jesus isn't just a beautiful, fleeting thought, but to see if it is maybe true? So then Luke mentions the women again. There they are, off in the distance, watching where this really unexpected guy is putting Jesus' body. But now it's late, almost sundown. The Sabbath is about to begin, and disconsolate, shocked, filled with grief and mourning for this man they love so much, they head home quickly, Luke says, and on the Sabbath day they rested. Then at early dawn on Sunday, they go back to the tomb with these spices and these ointments that they have prepared. This was to care for Jesus' body, as was the custom of the day. It was a way for them to honor Jesus. It was a way for them to love Jesus like Joseph had. It's one last act of devotion. One last act of love. And they are determined to show it to Jesus. Death has done what it always does. It has stolen and twisted and stung. But at least they can do this. And I gotta say, as many times as we hear this part of the story, I think it is really, really important for us to remember that those spices and those ointments are not brought along as plan B. <laughs> they don't bring them along as plan B just in case Jesus' body is there. They bring them as plan A. They were headed there to care for a body, not to be the first witnesses of the resurrection in their wildest dreams. Those beautiful women had never imagined that Jesus' body would not be right where they saw it on Friday. And that's kind of the point. You know, he had told them, he had told them and the rest of the disciples a bunch of times that this was going to happen. He had told them that he would be killed and then rise again, but nobody really knew what to do with that. Even though they had seen Jesus do some really amazing things, the truth is that these women, and for that matter, no one in the world had the right categories to make sense of him talking about resurrection in the way that he was. So they came to the tomb to care for a body. And that is a good reminder to all of us, in particular, those among us who may be skeptical, who might be tempted to think that ancient folks, you know, they're predisposed to believe any old thing, and so you can't really trust these stories. It's just not the case. It's right there in front of us. They, they didn't believe any old thing. They brought spices to care for the dead body of their friend. And when they get there, they find the stone rolled away from the tomb. Now, we know from Mark's Gospel that they have been talking on the way there about how they're going to get that stone rolled away. So maybe when they saw it removed, it was a relief to them. But then they enter the tomb, and that's where the shock sets in. They did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Luke tells us they were perplexed, like me, running around, looking for my keys enter the angels or as Luke calls them two men in dazzling apparel the women of course fall to the ground in fear and that's when one of them asks that unbearably beautiful question why are you looking for the living among the dead those messengers want them to know you are looking for Jesus in the wrong place now Those women don't answer that question, and honestly, how could they answer that question? None of the words they heard in the order they heard them made any sense. So the messengers continue. They tell the women, he's not here, which of course they already knew. (laughs) And then then they add that scandalous and strange detail that has obstinately and triumphantly rung out through the ages From the moment they uttered it until right now. He has risen. Jesus is alive. And you know, even hearing that from these two men in dazzling apparel, even hearing that is not enough for them to come to that crucial moment of recognition. They still don't know how to process all of this. And so the angels change track and ask them to do something. They say, remember, remember, remember how he told you when he was still in Galilee, how the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise. What they're saying is this, hey, Jesus told you about this. He's already told you to expect this. This is the gracious rescue operation where he redeems broken people and where he remakes the broken world. This is the thing he's been telling you about all along. It's the beginning. This morning was the beginning of a brand new creation. It was the beginning of God's new world. And Jesus told you he was going to do it. And now he did it. I think it might be helpful to think about it a little bit like this. Those women had frozen in their thinking on Good Friday. They were stuck there in Good Friday, stuck in that closed world. For them, all of Jesus' teaching, as profound and as moving as it was, as life-changing as they might say that it was for them, It's now just a thing of the past. His care for them, as dear and as meaningful as it was to them, is also just a memory. He was certainly a good example to them, but that example was now static and dead and unmoving. Sure, he was good. He was a good man. But his death was the absurd and meaningless end, and nothing has changed. And it won't ever change. They're frozen there. And I got to be honest, I bet a lot of us can relate. Frozen as we are in the Good Friday of our secular age, closed off to any notions, to any ideas of transcendence. I mean, We as a people, man, we are so hungry, we are so desperate, we're so thirsty. We're so thirsty for things like justice and right and beauty and forgiveness and reconciliation. Man, do we ever want those as a people, but we have practically and systematically shut out the only thing, the only one who can actually work those things that we long for in our hearts and in our world. And we kid ourselves and we say, you know what, we're okay. Maybe even we're better off without him. And yet look at us. Frozen in the Good Friday tragedy. Senseless violence going on in our great city every day. The dehumanizing industry of trafficking gaining traction in our world every day. Migrants fleeing from violence, dying in mind-numbing numbers every day. (laughs) And in our own individual lives, in paralysis under the weight of our own shame or addiction or all of the disordered and harmful things that we do to cope, Frozen. So listen, church, <laughs> the angels are literally screaming into the frozen and static and sleepy closed Good Friday world. They are literally screaming and shaking us, not just those women on that morning, but you and I too. And they're saying, remember, remember, the events of the last week of Jesus' life were not the inevitable and unfortunate result of a pure and gentle soul who ran up against the powers that run the world. They're saying, no, please listen, the events of the last week of Jesus' life are what it looks like when the worthy and powerful and beautiful Lamb of God is slain to ransom people for his Father from every tribe and tongue and nation. They are shaking us and saying, while you rested yesterday, he was staring down the powers that be. And he has crushed them forever. So, of course, he isn't in this silly, dingy little tomb. He is risen. And he is already making everything new again. Maybe some of you heard uh, or maybe you read about Father George's comments after the Palm Sunday bombings last week at two churches in Egypt. At least 45 people killed while they worshipped. This guy, Father George, is a pastor at St. Mark's in Cairo, and he gave this address, and the address is called A Message. To those who kill us. <laughs> I have to tell you, this guy sounds absolutely nuts in the greatest way possible. You, you should read this whole thing if you can. But here is a little snippet from a message to those who kill us. What will we say to them? We love you. The message we want to send to you is that we love you. We Christians don't have enemies. We don't have enemies. The Christian does not make enemies because we are commanded to love everyone. And so we love you. Because this is the teaching of our God. I'm to love you no matter what you do to me. I love you very much. (laughs) You know who doesn't live in a closed-off, frozen, Good Friday world? (laughs) Father George doesn't. Man, he lives as a forgiven man being made new, and he lives in a broken world being made new, and he knows it. And I'll tell you what, he lives in a world where the only thing that could ever make sense out of those audacious, ridiculous words that he said, the only thing that could ever make sense out of him and his church actually loving the people that want to kill them, the only thing that makes sense out of that is the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Father George does not live in a closed Good Friday world. He lives in the gloriously open Easter world. He lives in the world of the resurrection. This world of new possibilities that are made available to us by the sacrifice of Jesus' death for our sins and the defeat of those sins and the powers that stand behind them in the resurrection. He lives in our world the world we really do live in. And I love how Luke puts it about these women. After the angels ask them to remember, he just says they, they remembered those words. And it dawns on them all in an instant that they have awakened in a world that is very different than the one that they went to sleep in the night before. So they go back and tell the eleven leftover disciples what happened to them and completely predictably, given the frozen world that they imagined they lived in, these women are met with a sneer. It seemed an idle tale. Luke actually uses a technical term here to refer to the crazy things people say when they have a fever. It sounded like fever dreams to them and you know what I love it I love it because every one of those apostles will have their day with the risen Jesus and they won't be the same either and they will tell stories like fever dreams that will turn the world upside down and then there's that one last detail Peter Peter slips out to retrace the steps of those women. And he runs to the tomb and he finds it empty and he goes home marveling. And I can't help but wonder, church, if that is maybe the place for many of us in this story this morning, to see the empty tomb and to return home marveling at what Jesus has done for us and the whole world. Let me pray for us. Father, do whatever it is that you need to do to meet us where we are and to remember what Jesus has done for us and for this world. Open our eyes, unstop our ears, give us the hands of faith that we need to cling to it so that we would believe that we do not live in that frozen, closed tragic Good Friday world. We live in the gloriously open and beautiful and rife with possibility Easter world, the resurrection world into which you have acted through the life and death and resurrection and ascension of your Son. Father, do this for our good and do this for the good of the broken world around us and we pray it in the name of the risen Christ. Amen.